Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hello and welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, your creator and host. With me this week is my wife, Carol. Say hello, Carol. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening. All of the above. Someone could be listening at all times. Very much good. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate, Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Our content is often intense and some listeners may find it disturbing. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadian schmoes chatting about crime in the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and a Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. Gee, your dark poutine smells terrific. Yeah. <laughs> Listeners who feel they are in crisis can contact the Crisis Text Line in Canada by texting HOME to 686868. In the US or UK, text 741741. The service will match you with a volunteer counsellor who is supervised by a licensed, trained mental health professional. Crisis Text Line is free 24-7 support for those in crisis. For more information, go to crisistextline.ca in Canada or crisistextline.org globally. On July 12th, 1997 in the town of Kitimat, British Columbia. After months of tension, tempers boiled over, and a violent altercation took place between a madman and four other young men. Three of the young men, Michael Morrow, Mark Teves, both 20, and 21-year-old David Nunez were dead, and another 20-year-old Donnie Oliveira was barely clinging to life after a local man named Kevin Lewis Vermette allegedly blasted away at the group with a sawed-off shotgun before disappearing into the bush. He is still on the loose almost 24 years later. Oh my God. You're listening to episode 164, On the Run, Triple Murderer Kevin Lewis Vermette. Have you heard of this one, Carol? No. No, I've never heard of it. I wonder why not. That's pretty serious. I remember when it happened. In this case, as Kevin Vermette has yet to be brought justice for the three murders and one attempted murder, we'll have to call him suspect and say he is alleged to have committed the crimes. Okay. However, Donnie Oliveira was a witness to this and saw the man do it, so take that for what you will. Okay. This is the Canadian legal system. Mm -hmm. Before we get into the murders, though, and the people involved, we need to set the scene a bit. The landscape, Kitimat, and the region around the town play a big part in this story. Kitimat, by city slicker standards, is a rather remote community. According to the community's website at kitimat.ca, quote, Kitimat is a Pacific Rim gateway located approximately 650 kilometers northwest of Vancouver and 110 kilometers east of Prince Rupert. Kitimat sits at the head of Kitimat Arm, a wide fjord that extends northeast from the Douglas Channel. The surrounding coast mountains create a sheltered harbor 90 kilometers from open water suitable for deep sea transport. A predominantly flat valley more than 5 kilometers wide connects Kitimat to Terrace 60 kilometers to the north. Long before the first European settlers moved to Kitimat Valley, the Heisla Nation had established a summer village on the east shore of Kitimat Arm. Winter quarters were located about three kilometers upriver. The native economy was based primarily on salmon and ulachan fishing. Fields at the winter village were cultivated and structures were erected to store fish caught during the summer and fall months. 
In recent years, Kitimat's economy has primarily been driven by the Rio Tinto Alcan RTA aluminum smelter modernization project, which is now called Rio Tinto BC Works. Have you ever been to Kitimat? No, never. It seems so far away. It does. I mean, yeah. it, it's 650 kilometers from here, and it's situated on the northwest coast of BC. So mm-hmm. it's quite a ways away from here. Sounds a good road trip. Yeah. It's the activities available in the region's wilderness that brings tourists to the Kitimat area the year round. It is known for its steelhead, salmon, and trout freshwater fishing. And just off the coast, saltwater fishing is enhanced by views of wildlife such as sea lions, eagles, orcas, humpback, whales, and dolphins. Sounds delightful. It does. In just minutes, you can be on one of the many hiking hiking trails, snaking through the area and leading into the backcountry and further into the mountains beyond. Locals use the trails for exercise, and tourists use it for sightseeing. Mm Mm-hmm. Kevin Lewis Vermette was born on November 18, 1954, and he grew up in the Kitimat region and was extremely familiar with the trails and, and the wilderness in the region. Mm-hmm. He was into fitness and was an ad, avid outdoorsman. It appears that Kevin Vermette was an average kid. The first mention of Vermette that I could find in local media was in the Northern Sentinel, a Kitimat newspaper, on Thursday, June 8, 1961. In the paper, beside an article about the Boy Scouts, was a photo of St. Anthony's School's first communion class of the year. In the second row, front and center, standing behind and to the left of the parish priest, dressed in his Sunday best, is six-and-a-half-year-old Kevin Vermett. Right, just a regular kid. Regular kid. The next Northern Sentinel articles mentioning Vermette came in 1964. In April, Kevin got an honorable mention as a Cub Scout modeler in a local hobby show. In May, the same paper printed an article about Vermette's confirmation into the Catholic Church by Bishop Fergus (laughs) O'Grady. He was one of 80 kids confirmed that day. Again, all just ordinary things. Cub Scouts. I forgot about Cub Cub Scouts. Scouts This is what small town newspapers print. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these things happen there. Everybody wants to see the kids' names in the newspaper for, you know, different things. It's fun. Get dressed up, have your photo taken. Yep. The only other time I could find Kevin Vermette's name in the media before the murders was in the Terrace Standard on Wednesday, April 24, 1991. It's a standard legal notice by the accounting firm Deloitte and Touche in their branch in Prince George, B.C. of Kevin Vermette's bankruptcy. It read, in the matter of bankruptcy, Kevin Lewis Vermette. Notice is hereby given that Kevin Lewis Vermette filed an assignment on the first day of April, 1991 and that the first meeting of creditors will be held on Friday the 10th of May, 1991, at the hour of 8.45 o'clock in the forenoon at the courthouse in Prince Rupert. All this is regular small-town stuff. Nothing is remarkable about this guy at all. No. In fact, there was nothing much at all that stood out about Kevin Vermette. There's not a lot in the public about what kind of person he was, and especially anything compelling that would lead someone to conclude that Kevin Lewis Vermette might one day, allegedly, murder three men and leave another for dead. But that seems to be the case. Yeah, no background, really? Not much. Mm -hmm. By the time Kevin was claiming bankruptcy, he was already living at the Kitimat Motel. It's a smaller, just one of those low-rent motels on the edge of town where some people just choose to live. Uh, My hometown, Bridgewater, has a couple of those kind of motels, and it was just, those are where the people who were sort of on the fringes lived. Mm -hmm. There's some right near us. (laughs) That's right. Kevin had always been an odd jobber kind of guy. He'd driven a truck for a bit and was trained as a carpenter. He traded his carpentry skills to keep the roof over his head at the motel, becoming the de facto handyman there. Kevin took his time and was careful to do a good job with whatever he was tasked with. He was a decent carpenter and was seen as, quote, meticulous to the point of perfectionism, maybe. He also loved to fix up old cars, too. One was a truck he drove and another was a 1940s vintage auto. Vermette took a great amount of pride in their upkeep. Kevin was a quiet guy, too. Not not shy, just quiet. He was a teetotaler and was not known to drink or use drugs. He worked out and liked to stay in shape. He was very fit. He preferred the company of his well-trained dog, 
a black lab named Shadow, who lived with him in his motel room. He and Shadow would go on long, arduous hikes into the wilderness around Kitimat. He'd always take his 12-gauge Defender shotgun with him into the brush, claiming he needed it to keep he and Shadow safe from the grizzly bears known to roam the backcountry. So, again, nothing unusual about this guy. He's even named his Black Lab Shadow like everybody else does. Yeah, he's this regular guy with a gun. Yeah. Kevin didn't like to talk about his previous life with people around him, and this is where he gets a little odd. One of those who knew him that seven years before the murder was Murdo McDonald, the manager of the Kitimat Motel, from National Post on Monday, December 7, 1998. Quote, he was secretive, never speaking about his past. He told Mr. McDonald that he had no family except for a mother who he said was living in Jasper, Alberta. In fact, his mother, Elma, was still living in the family home, a small, neat bungalow just a 10-minute drive away. And Mr. Vermet had a brother and a sister in Kitimat as well. His father, who had worked at the aluminum mill, had since died. So that's odd. Yeah, but maybe he's just private. Yeah, but he's telling... I guess he's telling lies, so that makes you wonder. Exactly. So why is he lying about his mom not living in town, and why is he not admitting to having a brother and a sister who live in town? It's Wouldn't just, everybody know in town anyway? Probably. Yeah. Yeah, so why lie about it? Yeah, he just does. doesn't want to have to deal with them? It's weird. Yeah, something's not right. One man who wanted to remain anonymous, also a resident at the Kitimat Motel, spoke to the National Post about Vermet. He said Vermette was, quote, a guy with that lone cowboy persona you run into in the West. You know, independent and proud. The type of guy who has that look that says, don't fuck with me and I won't fuck with you. And if you ask for help, he'd give it willingly. A friend of ours used to call those people rugged individualists. Yep. Yeah. The man went on to claim he liked Vermette and said that he was nice. Quote, but at the same time, there was this weirdness. I mean, he was 43 and living in a little room at the end of the road in the Kitimat Motel, end quote. And oftentimes those people are folks who may have a drug problem or a gambling problem or something like that. But apparently Vermette was not one of those kind of people. No, it seemed like he just kind of liked to be alone. Yeah, that's probably it entirely. It was rumored that Kevin slept with his shotgun within reach of his bed. He had it handy one day when a bear was nosing around the trash in a dumpster at the motel. Murdo McDonald, the motel manager, told Vermette to leave the bear alone. Vermette ignored McDonald and dropped the bear with one shot from his shotgun. He later told the National Post, I don't know why he did that. Well, I can see why he did it. Bears are scary. Yeah. Especially, and then they're going to come back anyway, but he didn't need to do that. That's right. Sometime before the murders, Kevin Vermette began having run-ins with the four young men he would later gun down. Part of Vermette's routine was working out at a local gym. Reports indicate that it was there he met Michael Morrow, David Nunez, Mark Teves, and Donnie Oliveira. The foursome had known each other for most of their lives and grown up in the same small neighborhood, and they were close. Michael Morrow's dad, Frank, recalled in a Vancouver Province article that Michael and Mark Teves were born within an hour of each other at the same hospital. Frank had taken a photo of newborn Mark in his father's arms. So, more small town yeah, stuff. small town. The boys were always hanging out throughout their childhoods and into their teens and now as young adults. This tends to happen in smaller places. They spent lots of days mountain biking and running around together. Frank, Michael's dad, had coached them all on the same soccer team since 1990. To stay in shape off the field, they all worked out the weight room at the River Lodge Recreation Center at 654 Columbia Avenue West in Kitimat. One day, the young men were confronted by an angry man, Kevin Lewis Vermette. Vermette was upset. He did not like the rap music that the young men were listening to in the gym and told them they needed to turn it down. Donnie Oliveira claimed in a National Post article that they had turned the music off and agreed that moving forward they would not play their profanity-laced rap while Vermette was in the gym. So they compromised. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's one side of the story. Right. Got it. There was a short truce between the group until one day after seeing Vermette leaving, the group turned their music on and turned it up. Vermette apparently heard the music and returned to the gym. He was steaming mad. From the National Post article, quote, They argued, and Vermette took a swing at Mr. Oliveira. 
He went to the front desk to complain, and Mr. Vermette followed and hit him in the face. Oh, my God. Mr. Oliveira says he stayed cool and didn't retaliate, knowing Mr. Vermette's assault would get him banned from the fitness center. I didn't want to risk getting kicked out for fighting. Fair enough. So He's a little bit extreme there. A little but bit the extreme. The rap music made him crazy. Yeah. So you can see that these groups are starting to have a little tension. And like I said, we've only got one side of the story. And I'm not blaming the young men for what happened to them later on. No. no. Not at all. Because what Vermette ends up doing is an extreme overreaction. Yeah. So after that, whenever the group ran into Vermette, there were altercations. There were usually words between them. One evening that summer, a screaming match between Vermette and the young men at Robin's Donuts concluded. <laughs> <laughs> Robin's Donuts. Concluded oddly with Vermette blowing kisses to them as he drove away in his truck. Multiple sources have Vermette slinging racial slurs at the young men, all of whom were of Portuguese descent on more than one occasion. Okay. There were also rumors that Vermette's vintage car had been vandalized at some point. And these are all unsubstantiated rumors. There was an investigation later that showed no damage to his 1940s vehicle. Okay. Many point to what happened on July 11th, 1997, the day before the murders, as the straw that broke the camel's back. That was what, they say, pushed Kevin Vermette over the edge. The tires of Vermette's truck had been slashed as it sat parked in the motel parking lot overnight. Vermette was livid. It's unknown who actually did the deed, but thanks to what happened next, it is safe to say that Kevin Vermette assumed it was the group of young men that he'd been quarreling with. What had started as an argument over rap music was about to escalate to murder. And we will take a break right here. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we're back. And we know how things can escalate among people, Carol. We've had trouble with neighbors in the past. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? Well, first thing about these guys, I, there's like no barroom brawls yet. Nope. I thought this is all happening at like Robin's Donuts and stuff like this and the gym. I guess that's kind of test testosterone situation. But yep, yep. Yeah, I'm just like, well, this is happening without any kind of drugs or alcohol. So if they ever end up at a bar together, this is going to get just totally out of hand. Right. But, you know, you know uh, people can only be pushed so far, like especially if somebody leaves like a... A tarp on the hedge and it's not their side of the hedge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> can people get irrational? Yes, they can. Yes, they can. So on the night of Saturday, July 12th at around 7 p.m., Frank Morrow said goodbye to his only son, Michael, for the last time. Michael and his three pals, Donnie, Mark, and David, were going to a party just outside of town. Frank told his son to have a good time, to play it safe, and not to be out too late. Frank would never see Michael alive after that. The guys were on their way to a stag party and drove to a planned meeting spot outside of town at Hirsch Creek Park, a popular camping and RV spot. It was a dead-end turnaround off the road and could not be seen from Highway 37. Friends were going to meet the young men there and lead them to the party, so they sat waiting. Around 9.30 p.m., soon after they pulled into the turnaround, it was not the friends who were waiting for them that pulled up close behind their Ford Escort, but the red pickup truck belonging to Kevin Lewis Vermette, and he blocked them in. He must have followed them there. Donnie Oliveira recalled seeing Vermette getting out of the truck and that something was in his hands. Donnie thought that he was carrying a baseball bat and just wanted to scare them. Outnumbering Vermette, the men began getting out of the car. From the National Post, quote, Mr. Oliveira was halfway out of the car when a shotgun appeared. He didn't say a word, I just seen the flame coming out of the gun, just so loud, boom, 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 just one shot after the other. 
Then I was running. I don't know where I was running, just instinct. Then I got hit. He fell, heard a friend cry, no, and then another shot. He passed out and over the next 40 minutes lost 60% of his blood. It was David Nunez who cried out before being shot outside the car beside Mark Teves. Michael Morrow was murdered before he could even get out of the vehicle. After the shootings, Vermette simply hopped back into his truck and drove off. Whoa. Some youngsters who'd overheard the eight gunshots used their cell phones to call RCMP, who responded from town. The police found all four victims laying in pools of their own blood. Steve, David, and Michael were dead, and Donnie was barely hanging on. Donnie was later flown to Vancouver, where trauma teams at Vancouver General worked to save his life and his badly damaged arm. From the Vancouver province, quote, As he ran for his life that evening, the shotgun blast tore through his left arm, fracturing the bone and sending him flying headlong into the tall grass. The list of injuries he suffered reads like a patient file from a war zone. Punctured esophagus, damaged stomach, punctured diaphragm, badly damaged spleen, There are other scars, too. Some of the buckshot tore through his back, narrowly missing his spine and heart. After a month in the hospital and several surgeries, his spleen was removed. Oliveira was released. He would eventually be readmitted due to complications with his intestines, something that still bothers him from time to time. But he was alive. He was still breathing, and doctors were sure to tell him just how lucky he was. That's excessive. It's amazing he survived that. Plus, he was out, like takes time to get out there for him to be kind of rescued so yeah whoa yeah he is very lucky the reason that his injuries were so severe is a shotgun is not just one bullet mm-hmm. it is a whole bunch of- it's a whole bunch and if vermette was using double lot buck which are very large large projectiles they're about the size of a 38 caliber bullet each oh wow so if you're hit with a shotgun blast and further away you'll be hit all over the place. Yeah. So it's horrible. Yeah. Someone had witnessed the red pickup truck speeding out of the park, and it was quickly traced to Kevin Lewis Vermette. Police found the truck parked in its usual spot in front of of room number five at the Kitimat Motel. RCMP called for reinforcements from Prince George and other nearby detachments. The ERT surrounded the motel and began to evacuate the other long- and short-term guests, planning their next move. Vermette was not answering knocks at the door to come out. Police could not legally enter the, wor- enter the room. Only two months before, on May 22, 1997, the Supreme Court of Canada delivered its decision on R versus Feeney. The court ruled that, as a general rule, police required a warrant to enter a private dwelling to arrest someone. If he wouldn't come out, they had to go in. All the police could do at that point was wait until a warrant came through. So hours go by. Yeah, they just have to wait. They were hoping the whole time that Vermette was in his room. At 8 a.m., after the warrant arrived, one of the officers threw a rock through the window of Vermette's room as a distraction, and the ERT team, the emergency response team, crashed through the door. The room was empty. Vermette was gone, as were his dog Shadow and his shotgun. Cops gathered what items of relevance they could, but were sorely disappointed that their suspect was nowhere to be seen. And he had at least a 10-hour head start on them. Oh, man. He could have been almost anywhere by that point. Plus, he's like super outdoorsman guy, so he's going to survive out there. Yes, he does. Police had a suspected triple murderer to find, and the manhunt had begun. It was not looking good for Donnie early on either, but it appeared he might pull through. On Monday, Kevin Lewis Vermette was charged with three counts of second-degree murder and one count of attempted murder. Heavily armed cops were combing the forest outside of Kitimat with tracking dogs. Two police choppers, complete with the latest forward-looking infrared tech, scoured the brush from the air, hoping to see a heat signature of this man and his dog. RCMP thought they had him boxed in. They believed that they had blocked all his escape routes out of the rugged backcountry where they believed he was. But Vermette, an experienced outdoorsman, continued to evade them. Kevin Vermette's mother, Amelia, made a television appeal to her son on the Thursday after the murders. So, this is five days later. She said, quote, Please come back so we can face this together. 
There is no peace for any of us until we know where you are. She followed up saying, quote, five families need to know what happened. None of us can face another loss, end well, quote. That's a good mom. Yeah. On Friday, July 18th, a funeral was held at Christ the King Church for the three slain young men, David Nunez, Michael Morrow, and Mark Teves. More than 2,000 people, family, friends, and supporters packed into the church. From a Canadian press article published the next day, quote, Father Terry Brock asked the community to pray for all the grieving families, including that of the suspected killer, Kevin Vermette, the object of a police manhunt since the shooting last Saturday. Family members touched the lids of the three oak coffins at the end of the funeral. Teve's soccer teammates dyed their hair yellow in honor of their friend who'd changed his hair color just before he was killed. And that just reminded me of the Humboldt Broncos. Oh, yeah. Yeah, That's so right. there were teammates that changed their hair for the funeral because one of the... Yeah. Yeah. The search for Vermette continued. It was fraught from the beginning. Hundreds of tips poured in. People were seeing Kevin Vermette everywhere, and the RCMP did not have the manpower to run down every lead in a timely way. They were run ragged. Many people in Kitimat were afraid to leave their homes for fear of running into Vermette, who cops said was armed and dangerous and might do just about anything to avoid capture. It was a tense and sleepless summer from that point on. From the same Canadian press article mentioned earlier, Staff Sergeant Peter Howey talked about other issues with the search. Quote, A major problem has been interference from people who monitor police scanners then converge on reported sightings. Rubberneckers got between police and a Kitimat house they were trying to cordon off, said Howie. In another incident, officers encountered a group of drunks while investigating a possible sighting at a trailer court. There were three people there that interfered with our investigations to the point that we had to arrest them, he said. Howie said that the problem is curiosity, not an attempt to deal with Vermette through vigilante justice. But police have issued warnings the people should st- that people should stay out of their way. Yeah. <laughs> Sergeant Howie went on to talk about how wild and vast the area is and how someone like Vermette could have made it as far as Terrace, around 60 kilometers to the north, through the brush, but felt it was unlikely as there hadn't been any sightings of him in that region. Howie said, quote, There's lots of logging roads, but most of them peter out in the surrounding hills and just lead back to the highway between here and Terrace. He didn't rule out the possibility Vermette may have died by suicide in the bush. He said that, of course, would make it much more difficult for us to locate him. Yeah, I hadn't even thought of that option. I feel like he's just like trying to just stay hidden somewhere. Mm -hmm. On July 19th, the manhunt for Kevin Lewis Vermette was featured for the first of three times on the popular true crime tips show, America's Most Wanted. The tips poured in. People continued to claim they were seeing Vermette all over British Columbia, in stores, hitchhiking on highways hundreds of kilometers from Kitimat, and on transit buses. But no sightings seemed to be a verifiable sighting of the fugitive. As the days turned into weeks, RCMP began to scale back the search for the accused killer. The manhunt expanded. Police were now looking at Smithers, British Columbia, almost 260 kilometers away to the northeast. From an article from the Quinell Caribou Observer on Sunday, August 3, 1997, quote, Smithers has generated numerous tips in this area, one of which appeared to be extremely important for us to be here, said lead investigator RCMP Corporal Rich Marchineau of the Prince Rupert General Investigation Section. He said the search by six investigators was confirmed to the town area but failed to turn up any trace of the man. So it's interesting. Here he is 260 kilometers away, bashing around in Smithers. and Maybe. Maybe, right? I don't feel like, I feel like he's just living somewhere in the bush somewhere, just like surviving out there. Who knows? Yeah. The killings had divided some of the folks in the region, and some of the most insensitive ones claimed that Vermette had been bullied by the boys and had taken the only action he could. Yeah, it's excessive. Police shot down the story, claiming that Vermette had not come to them for help with any alleged harassment. He had taken matters into his own hands, and the murder had been his solution. Yeah. Smithers continued to be an area of focus. There were unsubstantiated rumors that people sympathetic to Vermette were harboring and helping him. That doesn't seem right. 
he seemed like he was just wanted to be alone. Mm. In October, police put out a public warning that the accused killer might be in the area and to be on the lookout. They suspected Vermette might be utilizing unoccupied summer homes in the area to hide and had been stealing supplies from others. There was even a report of a man matching Vermette's description in the area. From the Terra Standard on Wednesday, October 8, 1997, this is three months later, police recently received a tip that a man matching Vermette's description was seen walking on the McDonnell Lake Road off the Ski Hill Road behind Hudson Bay Mountain outside of Smithers. That's led police to search the area and put out a public advisory. Constable Scott White of the RCMP's Serious Crimes Unit in Prince Rupert says there's a chance the fugitive is hiding out and breaking into cabins in the area for supplies. We saw that in the David Snow story, and we've seen it in other stories as Mm -hmm. well. We're appealing to the public to be mindful of the fact that Vermette's familiar with this area, White said. If things go missing, they should contact the RCMP. Supplies include food, backpacks, tools, ammunition. He said anything you'd need to go on a camping trip. White said Vermette has a history of taking what he needs from wherever he finds it. So the police knew a little bit more. So they really did think he was still alive and kicking around that area. Yeah, it sounds like it. That seems like something he kind of would do. Yeah. Based on the limited information I know, but that sounds, that makes sense. Searchers turned up no definite sign of Vermette. Almost a year after the murders, police and family members of the victims announced that they were offering a $17,500 reward for information leading to Vermette's capture. Again, the tips came, but nothing concrete. And they have continued over the ensuing years. Kevin Lewis Vermette is a puzzle yet to be solved. He remains at large from from the day of the murders to the day we recorded this podcast. Although in 2015 the initial reward was rescinded as the initial donors wanted their money back, it had been in limbo for 17 years and there was seemed yeah. no hope for Vermette's capture. The RCMP have listed Kevin Lewis Vermette as one of Canada's most wanted fugitives and another reward has been posted mm-hmm. and this is by the government. Kevin Lewis Vermette Wanted on a Canada-wide warrant for attempted murder and murder. Reward, $25,000. Kevin Lewis Vermette is believed to be responsible for the July 12, 1997 triple shotgun murder of three young adults, which occurred in the northern community of Kitimat, British Columbia, Canada. He abandoned his vehicle at his motel residence and fled on foot into the mountain wilderness with his black Labrador dog, and he has not been seen since. A notice under that reads, in part, quote, The reward is hereby offered for any information which leads strictly to the arrest of the accused, Kevin Lewis Vermet, and any person providing such information will not need to provide any evidence or testify in court. The identity of such persons claiming the reward will be kept confidential. An additional reward of up to $2,000 may be offered through Crime Stoppers if the person calls the Crime Stoppers line. You are not required to identify yourself to Crime Stoppers. An actual arrest must be made by police before any reward can be claimed. The reward is offered herein subject to review every two years and can be rescinded at any time of review without notice. And then the website goes on to describe Kevin Vermette. Mm -hmm. From RCMP file 97-2149, personal description, male, born November 18, 1954, hair color, Brown, eye color blue, weight 161 pounds or 73 kilograms, height 5 foot 9 inches tall or 175 centimeters. He has tattoos. On his upper right arm, he has a cat with Lucky inscribed below. And it's a really crappy tattoo. (laughs) If you see it, um, I will post some pictures of it. You'll see it and you'll think, well, that's a really crummy tattoo. If, If you saw somebody with that on their arm, you would remember it. Okay. On his left upper arm, he has a coyote and moon da- and a dagger through a red rose. So he really likes the cliched tattoos as well. I was going to say, red rose, come on, man. Yeah, exactly. Other description reads, clean shaven at the time of disappearance, and he wears silver-rimmed glasses. It continues with more details. Occupation, carpenter, mechanical knowledge, truck driver, prefers temporary employment. 
Interests are classic automobiles, highly trained dogs, guns, fitness, photography, and outdoors. Habits, meticulous, likes organization, clean, well-dressed, loner, private, antisocial, late riser, non-smoker, non-drinker, hot-tempered. Hot-tempered, I'd say so. Yep. Also included are four pictures. Two are of an age-progressed Kevin Vermette, one with a mustache and one without. He would be 67 this year. The other two photos are a full body shot of Kevin Vermette and another of his shitty cat tattoo (laughs) with Lucky below it. At the bottom of the page, highlighted in red, reads, Warnings. Take no action to apprehend this person yourself. Report any information to the nearest RCMP detachment or to the police in your area or contact Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477. Considered to be armed, dangerous, and violent. We'll post the links to the RCMP site and more information about Kevin Vermette in our show notes. And uh, that's it. So what do you think, Carol? Is Kevin Vermette still alive or has he taken his own life soon after the killings, as some people believe? Uh, No, I think he's still like living in the woods somewhere. You think? Yeah. I thought things like this could only happen like in oldie times, like 1800s. Like 1997, they would have found him. Nope. No. The woods are vast. Yeah. Well, not only that. He can survive. We've seen a lot of stories with people who are just, there was one sighting that I read about where he was seen in Port Coquitlam. So who knows? He I might guess he could. I mean, just grow a beard and lots of people. I didn't know about this guy at all. Even yeah. though look at all the stuff that they posted everywhere. Didn't know anything about him. Could have walked right by him. Had no idea. Yeah, that's very possible. So that's it for this week's case. On the run, triple murderer Kevin Lewis Vermette. So I hate these cases that are unsolved because there's so little information. I mean, we know what he allegedly did, and we know who he allegedly did it to. Mm -hmm. However, there has been no trial. He's just vanished into thin air. Yeah. I hope Shadow's okay. I think it's been a while now, but (laughs) hopefully he's his trusted buddy. Well, Shadow... I I, do worry about Shadow and the dog. I kind of knew that that you would say that. (laughs) Shadow would be a very, very old dog now, Carol. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know. Yeah. So let's just say... We'll just leave it there. Yeah, Shadow's probably not with us. I know. Yeah. I know how this works. Carol's feeling sad. <laughs> for Shadow. Carol's feeling sad for Shadow. Yeah, and the people and their families and the alleged killer's mom. Yeah. Because she's just like, come on, let's just sort this out. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's what I always think about is people seem to forget that there's more than just the families of the victims who are affected by these things. It's the people who are the alleged perpetrators of these crimes or the actual perpetrators uh, after a trial. Their families are destroyed too. Yeah. Because they lose a child as well. Yep. You know? And people don't forget. They have to live there, man. Yeah, exactly. She and has to live know. live with the weight of people's judgment of her and all that kind of stuff. That's got to be rough. It is terrible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I mentioned, there were some people in town who really thought that Vermette did the right thing, which is yeah. crazy, you know, yeah. and hurtful to these other families who have lost their kids. These were just young guys. I had been involved in situations like that when I was that age. Yep. I didn't get shot, you know, I might've got punched in the face, but I didn't get shot. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a total crazy overreaction. If it happened exactly how over rap music and then just like this weird boiling resentment of kind of somebody in their mind all of a sudden just shows up to a party and doesn't say anything and then just shoots them. Yeah. Without a word, this guy blew these people away. Yeah. Without a word. He didn't say a thing. No. He didn't say... You vandalized my car. He didn't say you slashed the tires of my truck. He didn't say anything. He just walked up and shot them. Yeah. That's bananas. That's like cold killer crazy stuff. Yep. I guess it is time for us to move on to such things as some voicemails. Voicemails? Voicemails, voicemails, voicemails. Yeah, the VMs. If you want to leave us a voicemail, please do. Um, don't feel pressure to be awesome or anything. Just be yourselves. <laughs> like, don't, 
if you want to write a script, some people write a script as they, uh, before they call just so they can, uh, be more cogent in what they're trying to get across, which mm-hmm. is kind of cool. But, uh, yeah, please give us a call. We really do want to hear from you. Um, well, Carol doesn't, I do. That is not true. I am so noisy, noisy, noisy and nosy. You are I want to know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's see here. Whoa. It looks like we got a few. <gasps> Yay. Oh, if you want to leave us a voicemail, you can do so at one 327 5786 or 1-877-D-A-R-K-P-T-N. And if your call stands out, you might hear it on the show. Some people call with like show ideas and those kind of things with which we really like. You probably won't hear those, but if you do have a show idea, by all means, leave a voicemail and we will save it and have a look at it. That sounds good. Yep. There was one just now. So mm-hmm. um, let's listen to this one. It looks like it's from a ways away. Where? Uh, I don't know. Hey, Mike and Carol. <clears throat> G'day from down under. It's Troy here in Australia. Um, loving your show. Really enjoy what you guys have to say. Very topical, very intelligent, and very, very well done. Carol, love you and your, your funny little laugh. You're gorgeous. Um, love what you do. Commonwealth countries, well done. Get together. Just a little note, in Australia, we've actually been banned from shitting in our hats. It's a summer country. The uh, smell is horrendous, so uh, we don't do that. So I won't wish you that in the end. But really good. Love your show. Well done. Very intelligent. Very well appreciated. Love you guys. You're doing great. And hey, Carol, if you're looking for a, for a better husband, I'm here. Call me. Talk to you soon. Um, no, Dick Pippen. Talk to you. Bye. Wow. <laughs> so apparently someone wants to know if you need, you're looking for a better husband. I'm good. Thank you. That yeah. was very nice offer, but no, I'm, my, my husband is very good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I also like that there's no shitting in the hats due to the summer weather. I know. Right. That could really make a mess. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's nice to have someone call us from down under. It really is. I was very excited to hear that. I was like, is this real? It definitely was real. That's amazing. Thank you, Troy. Let's listen to another one. Hola, hosers. How y'all this is Charlie from Loveland, Colorado. I just wanted to thank you guys for uh, telling the stories of those who can no longer tell their own. I hope that made sense. Anyway, I also wanted to thank you for, uh, well, some degree of normalcy in this kind of crazy time. Anyway, if you would, turn to page 14 in the book of Doc Poutine, where it reads, Lieth thine hat upon the ground and defecate therein. Love you guys. Bye-bye. So we were just told to go shit in our hat in a very biblical way. Exactly. Uh, Wow. Thou shalt defecate in thine hat. In thine hat. (laughs) That is uh, pretty bonkers. A dark routine commandment. Yes, the the commandment of a dark poutine, go poop in thine hat. <laughs> and then thy shall shat in the hat. <laughs> in thy hat shall be shat. Oh, this is glorious. Yeah, that was pretty fun. Oh, yeah. thank you. Thank you so, so much. Uh, those Coloradans. I know. I, uh, apparently the... Uh, the thin air up there. It is, yes, yeah. exactly. It's hard to hard to go for a run and uh, play hockey up there. Play hockey and those kind of things, but uh, yeah, let's <laughs> makes for some good uh, imaginations. Yeah, there you go. Let's listen to another one. Another we, one. Another My one. gosh, you guys. Yeah, exactly. They're all pretty great so far. <laughs> Hi, Mike and Carol. This is Lori calling from Nepean. It's a burb in Ottawa. Uh, I had to laugh. I heard you pronounce that one time, and it was funny. I was thinking of calling you then, but eh, whatever. I wanted to leave a message for you both to let you know how much I appreciate your podcast. I really, really like the way you convey the stories with gentle care for all involved. And, you know, and additionally, I'm new to the Yumber Yard, and it has quickly become a daily 
thing for me. I, it's such a safe community and really, really great to see so many like-minded, kooky people and everyone sharing laughs. It's, it's comforting. It's happy time. And it's really nice. We could all use a laugh in these days. I just uh, wanted to tell you how much I really appreciate you both. And, you know, now go shit in your hat and have a wonderful weekend. Bye for now. Bye. <laughs> uh, wow. That was so nice. Nippian. Yeah. Nippian. Yeah, now I said it correctly instead of. Oh, it's of correct? Nippian. Nippian? Oh, it's Nippian. Nippian. Of course. I didn't know either. <laughs> but I always love a voicemail that just starts out with laughing. You know it's going to be good. <laughs> well, it's because of the. My message when you call. So I've never called it, so I don't know what it sounds like. So people should call it more. 1-877-327-5786 or 1-877-DARKPTN. So if you want to hear what I have to say before you leave a voicemail, you're going to have to do that. Okay, sounds good. I might call it just to hear the message. You can call and leave a message. I, I might actually play it, <laughs> play your message on the show. <laughs> oh boy! I wish people from uh, different places would call. Like I, I wish we had more calls from people all around the world too. But I, I don't know if it's... we did pretty well this week. Yeah, I don't know if it's a. Uh, I don't know if the phone number actually is toll free from all over the world, but oh well. Hmm. Yeah. Who do we know all around the world? We know lots of people. Yeah. We do. Please test it. Please test it. <laughs> Just call testing. Yes, it worked. Thank you. <laughs> yes, it worked. All right. So it's time for some Patreon shout outs. Let's have a look and see if anyone gave us any Patreon love this week. Did anyone? It's a drum roll. It's a drum roll from... I hope they did. I hope they did too. Because the patrons... I. Don't want to brag or anything, but I did a lot of uh, folding and stuffing envelopes and putting stamps on things. Yeah, this let's week. just say there's 200 pieces of mail on the way. At least. At least. <laughs> Whew. I'm sure the mailman's just like, what's going on what in this is, mailbox? What is wrong with these people? Yeah, the mailbox just outside of the grocery store. That guy must be like, whoa, what's happening? And I am also, just so you folks know, I'm working on a uh, a, a post box. For everybody, so if anybody ever wants to send us anything cool, they're going to be able to send it because you know we it's kind a post of post box. Yeah, it's a post box. We don't want like uh, somebody it's to okay. send us letter, letter bombs, so we'll send it to the <laughs> letter bombs are not okay. No, and hats full of shit. We would appreciate not. I think it's against the law to send shit in the mail. Yeah, it it definitely is. Yeah, pretty sure. <laughs> oh boy. All right, so let's move on to patrons. I'm ready. Patrons. First up, we have Claire Kibuyik. Hi, Claire. So where is Claire from? Let's see where Claire is from. It looks like she is from Hollebrunn in Austria. Oh, very nice. She's an Austrian. She's Austrian. She has the best water in the world. Best water in the world in mm -hmm. Austria. Exactly. I guess BC is a close second. Oh, though. Canada's got great water. We're really lucky. We really do mm -hmm. have nice water. Um, and what does Claire do there in Austria? She's a paper towel sniffer. What? Yep. See? Quality control, so, again. Some of these always sound like they could be kinky. No. A paper towel sniffer? Is it like used paper towel or is it? No. Just, oh. It's the brand new ones to make sure that they're scent free. Oh, I think I that's see. spilled on them anything. Again, a lucrative position. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, Claire, for sniffing that paper towel. She's got quite the nose. She, well, yeah. Exactly. She can smell anything from miles away. Wow. And that's why they hire her. I smelled some things from miles away this morning, didn't I, Carol? Actually, that might, <laughs> that might actually be a bit of a curse to have a sense of smell that strong. You can smell things you don't want to smell. Yeah, I have a, I have a good sense of smell, but it's not that good. But there are, there are some smells that are quite horrendous. <laughs> I know. Sometimes. I don't know how these things happen. Those stinky kitties. Uh, is it? Mm-hmm. So thank you so much, Claire, the Austrian paper towel sniffer. Exactly. Next, we have Holly Mitchell, and Holly is from Burnt Church in New Brunswick. Burnt Church, New Brunswick? Yeah, Burnt Church, New Brunswick. That is a cool name. Or, as it's the uh, only 
truly bilingual province in Canada. Right. Burnt Church, Nouveau-Brunswick. Oh, mais oui. Yeah. So what on earth does Holly Mitchell do in Burnt Church? And I'm pretty sure she's not the one who burnt the church. No. Well, no, she's not an arsonist. Sheesh. Um, she is a face feeler. What? So she feels people's faces. It's for makeup. I don't and understand lotions. how that works. So, yeah. So she feels someone's face after they put on lotion or makeup. When a test subject applies a facial skincare product, the face feeler will feel this person's face to determine whether or not the product had any effect. Oh. While this job may sound simple, face feelers are highly trained professionals who have developed highly tuned tactile senses. Wow. And she does not accept bribes. She does not accept no. bribes. Yes. Incorruptible. Incorruptible? Uncorruptible? Yeah. Well, that's good. Like, because you, you don't want somebody who's like said, oh, yeah, that feels fine. And then you put the stuff on and it's like, well, that feels like sandpaper. The softening lotion made me feel like I'm, a, I'm you know, a number number two sandpaper. <laughs> My face is on fire. You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> Someone gave me 50 bucks. I can feel something burning underneath my skin. You're fine. You're okay. Stop it. You're, stop. you're fine. Just stop your whining. <laughs> Next up from North Vancouver, British Columbia. Ah, North Van. That's where Carol and I met, North mm -hmm. Van. Uh, we have Lisa, Lisa Hemerl. Hemerl. We have Lisa Hemerl. Maybe it's Hemerly. Hemerly? We have Lisa Hemmerly. All right. We figured it out, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, and what does Lisa do there in North Vancouver? Master distiller. She's a distiller. Yes. Oh. It it's a small and specialized niche. Okay. Um, what does she distill? She oversees the production of spirits and liqueurs oh. for commercial breweries. Yeah, stuff we can't imbibe but that's okay that's okay she can plus she's classy so she gets the fancy stuff yeah if you have master anything in front of your name exactly. unless it's like because you're <laughs> a baker master baker that is fancy there used to be a sign in halifax and it was master bakers and we always used to laugh why un until someone <laughs> changed the k to a t and they <laughs> Hi, I'm 12. I just laughed really hard. Yeah. So thank you, Lisa, Lisa Hemmerly, the North Vancouver master distiller. Wow. I know. That's pretty cool. You know someone fancy. We do. Thank you for listening. Yeah. And for your patron. Yes. Thank edge. you for pa your patronage. <laughs> Here's one that comes to us from Bertrix, Belgium. Really? This is... Emily Parker. Emily. Emily Parker. So Bertrix, Belgium. I've never been there. Apparently I have Belgian relatives, but... Uh, nice. Yeah. Is that where Pippa the Pig is from? It is. Aw. Yeah. What does Emily Parker do there in Belgium? She's an art therapist. Oh, she's an art therapist. Yes. Uh, so she, what, she gives therapy to art? Yes. People named Art. It's very limited. <laughs> No, it's people that need all kinds of help. And um, even though she can't do it in person, she does it by Zoom now. Oh. But there's finger painting, collage, all kinds of things to help get through tough times. Wow, that sounds like a lot of fun, actually. Well, it's sad sometimes, but very um, satisfying and helpful. Very satisfying and helpful. Well, yeah. that's nice. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I don't think I've ever done art therapy. You have, though. Oh, I totally you? have. Did you yeah, enjoy it? Yeah, it's so helpful. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't think it would be, and plus I can't draw very well, but no, it taps into something, makes you feel, it just helps. Yeah. And the person guides you through, talks to you while you're doing it as well. Wow. Yeah, it's helpful. It is helpful. Yeah, I haven't thought about that in a while, but yeah, I did that when I was in my 20s. Wow. Yep. So there you go. There you go. Art therapy. Art therapy. Thank you for your service. We love it. Yes. Thank you, Emily. Enjoy doing your art therapy there in Belgium. Um, all right. 
So now it is time for some donut money. And what? We, we did get quite a bit of donut money this week. Nice. And uh, once again, our friend from Seattle. What? Denise Sakaki is one of our biggest surprise donors as far as donut money goes. Thank you so much, Denise. And uh, we know Denise likes very small things. She makes those tiny little figures. I love that. Yeah. Her dog, Beaks, is the cutest white fluffy dog. Yeah. And but De- like a big dog. Like I think like 30 pounds or up. Yeah. So not like a tiny fluffy dog. And yeah, Denise is awesome. I met her in person. She is super nice. She is super nice. I, I met really her in the like before it. times when we were in Seattle, remember? In the before times, before when we could when you actually... could actually meet someone and hug them the same day. Yeah. <laughs> the Within same minutes. Day. Within minutes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that's pretty amazing. Thank you so much, Denise. Denise. That was really nice. And here's another one. Thank another. You. Another large one from Mara Smelters Weir. Thank you, Mara. Holy Mara, what smoke. a good name you have. Where do, uh, let's see where Mara lives. Um, I bet you she lives in Nakovo, Serbia. Ooh. Wow. Tough times. Tough times. Actually, I think it's really picked up there. It's pretty fancy yeah, now. I think things are okay there. Yeah. But uh, what does Mara do there in Serbia. Well, she doesn't live in Serbia anymore. Oh, okay. So she's moved. Where yeah. has where has she moved her to? Her job takes uh, her away. She's an island caretaker. Oh, wow. So she's on an island somewhere. Yep. Mm-hmm. Is it Madagascar? Any island that they need her at. Oh, okay. She takes care of all different kinds of islands. She's like Animal Crossing lady. Oh, wow. She goes from island to island, makes sure everything's uh, all nice. All the villagers are happy. I wish somebody would come to my island and deflower it. <laughs> Oh, I shouldn't say That's, that. Uh, <laughs> My flowers have gotten out of control. They really get out of control. Yeah, they really so, do. So, yeah, she could help. She's a caretaker. She is a caretaker. Yeah, there yeah. you go. So. Come over to the bunghole to deflower. That sounds really Defla- bad. Yeah, because my island's name is Bunghole <laughs> on Animal Crossing. And, yes, please deflower my bunghole. <laughs> Oh, boy. Yeah. There you go. Oh, yeah. I hope you're not sad that you donated now you, that yeah. we've said this. Dark poutine just got canceled. This just spiraled. Thank you, Mara <laughs> Smelters Weir. Mara, that's amazing. Thank yeah. you. Um, <laughs> let's see. Oh, my goodness. Here's another one. Uh, Megan Landrigan Buttle. Wow. And she says, please see email re-episode 69. So... She did send me an email about episode 69. Yeah. So apparently she's from the area that we covered in episode 69. So if you haven't listened to episode 69, please do. Because, uh, yeah, it's uh, the Ant Hill Kids. Nice. Yeah, that one was a... Why did I just say nice? Nice. Because the Ant Hill Kids, that whole situation was not nice. Not nice at all. Oh, sorry about that. And our friend, Sally Norris, holy smokes is back with a vengeance and another large donation. Thank you so much, Sally Norris. It Sally. says, donuts, donuts, many thanks. All, as always, Sally N. Any relation to Chuck? Chuck Norris? No, I think we've had that discussion. Sally oh. is not related to Chuck Norris. Maybe a long distance cousin? Maybe, yeah. Well, she's clearly as powerful as Chuck because she sends us the amazing Exactly. Donations. That's we'll change all the Chuck Norris means to uh, Sally Norris. Sally yeah. Norris. <laughs> Catching all the Pokemon with the rotary phone. Yeah, Sally Norris. Sally Norris. And uh, next up we have Evie Walker says, here's some donut money for you and Carol to enjoy after a hard but highly entertaining day of recording the Ooh. latest episode. So I guess we have to go out and get donuts oh, right away. Man. I think you can probably do that while I'm Focus closed. editing. Don't forget to get some cat treats for your four-legged housemates. Okay, we will. Thanks for all the hard work you put into the show. I look forward to listening to the latest episode every week and can't wait for the next one to drop. Keep up being the awesome good eggs that you are and go shit in your hat. Oh, nice. Thank you, Evie Walker. Evie? Where is Evie from? Let's see. It looks like she might be from San Mateo Ixitan in Guatemala. Whoa. 
Wow. In Guatemala? Yeah, Guatemala. Nice. What does she do there in Guatemala, Carol? She's a chocolate taster. Oh, I am, I am that as well. I am too, but I don't get paid for it. I pay for the experience, but <laughs> she is so good. Wow. That people pay her to taste the chocolate. Well, thank you, Evie. Is that the best job? The Guatemalan chocolate ta- taster. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh. They grow cocoa out there, don't they? They definitely do. Yeah. yeah. And coffee. Yeah. So I just got lucky when the random place generator said Guatemala. No, this was all planned ahead. It's all, yeah, that's actually where <laughs> she lives. No. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, what? Don't tell them where I live. I'm a chocolate taster. People be coming after me all the time. Exactly. You don't want that to happen trying to bribe the chocolate tester. Oh, and that's true. That could happen too. Some of these jobs. We had another donation that came what? via um, the old Interac. So if you want to, you can email Interac uh, us some cashola as well. Wow. Lori St. Germain sent us a, a donut money donation. And uh, I think Lori lives in, oh boy, I don't want to try and pronounce this. It's Olds, Alberta in Canada. In Olds, Alberta? She lives I think in I've Olds. actually been there. Yes. Well, you know, this does make sense because you can get to the Calgary Zoo from Olds, Alberta. It's okay. a bit of a commute, though. Yep. But what does she do at the Calgary Zoo? She's the panda nanny when the pandas were there. Oh. I know. We saw the pandas there. We sure did. Yeah, they were eating their eucalyptus. Oh, eating their bamboo. Oh, bamboo was what it was. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, chowing down on that. So she wears, all. you know how they wear the hairnets and everything? Mm-hmm. She has to wear that equipment. Yep. And then she makes sure all the baby pandas are okay. Well. So she was working in the Calgary Zoo, but I know that they've been sent Back to China, I think, or maybe they're in Toronto now. But anyway, she Toronto, travels China, with them. Same difference. <laughs> no, I know that there's lots of pandas that travel around. So they either went to the Toronto Zoo or they went back to China. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. So she travels with them. Wow. That's, oh. that's really neat. She just gets to hug those baby pandas. She gets to hug baby pandas. Oh, lucky duck. Thank you, Lori St. Germain from Olds, Alberta. Watch, she's actually from there. Again? Who knows? knows? Your research is really, really good. My research game is strong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much to all our patrons and Donut Money donors past and present for your generosity. It helps keep the show going. You can become a patron at darkpoutine uh, at patron.com slash darkpoutine. For a one-time donation, you can send us some donut money via PayPal using our email address darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. If you don't already subscribe to the show, it mean a lot to us. If you did, you can easily find us on iTunes, Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your on-demand audio. I had a dream the other night. I didn't tell you about it, but I just remembered it, that we got a check, like a Joe Rogan-style check, to be on a podcasting platform in the U.S., Mm-hmm. For $225 million. Wow. Yeah. I think that's more than what Joe Rogan got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. But yeah, so maybe that's on the, maybe that's. Uh, that's on the horizon. I have had prophetic dreams before. Uh, I could handle $225 million US. I don't know if I could. That's a quarter billion dollars can- Canadian. What would I do? <laughs> what wouldn't we do? I don't know. Anyway. Check out our website, darkpoutine.com, for show notes and other cool stuff. Take Please take time to give Dark Poutine a like or follow on Facebook and Instagram. Most importantly, thank you for listening and tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. No promos this week, but until we return, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, everybody. See ya.
new on Showcase. You were in a concentration camp in World War II. I was a young man locked up in a terrible place. Based on the international best-selling book. But I found something there. Someone. We must keep living. Whatever it takes. The Tattooist of Auschwitz. All new Sundays on Showcase. Stream on Stack TV.